sometimes you just need to touch grass, literally and figuratively. And we recommend you bring books. Tell the bibliologists at Tailored Book Recommendations about what you love and what you don't and what you want to read this summer on your outdoor adventures. You can get your recommendations via email or receive hardcovers in the mail. And TBR has plans for every budget. This summer, touch grass and bring books. You pack the bags, we pick the books. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 135, and we're recording on August 5th. I'm Sharifa Williams here with guest host Vanessa Diaz, and today we're coming back to put together the SFF Mixtape Volume 2. <laughs> <laughs> Was that a story of Woozilla? Uh, yes. <laughs> Supposed to. We're doing a lot of work here, but yes. <laughs> so, for anybody who's new to the show, Vanessa is our managing editor and is also on all the books. So, you can hear her talking about books there. And we actually did mixtape. This is why it's volume two. This was not an arbitrary ridiculousness. We did a volume one, the last, I think it was the last time you were a guest host on this show, Vanessa. Um, the last time with you, for sure. I think I've had, I've guessed yeah. with Jen one other time before. Yes. Yeah. Correct. And so and we that had was a lot of fun. also the reason for the Bubuzella? I wasn't just like doing it for funsies because <laughs> we're doing music things and like, you know, what, I, yeah, I'm not just like out here so, being you know, a total weirdo. Mouth music. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Gosh, episode title? We'll see. <laughs> so before we, we talk about news and then we talk about our actual titles and our mixtape, uh, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor. Sometimes you just need to touch grass, literally and figuratively. And we recommend you bring books. Tell the bibliologists at Tailored Book Recommendations about what you love and what you don't and what you want to read this summer on your outdoor adventures. You can get your recommendations via email or receive hardcovers in the mail. And TBR has plans for every budget. This summer, touch grass and bring books. You pack the bags, we pick the books. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. It only takes a few minutes. That's mytbr.co. Okay, we are back, and I'm going to kick us off, actually, with... I'm going to get the sad news out of the way first, I think. Yeah. And I wanted to talk about Nichelle Nichols uh, passing away at the ripe age of 89, lived an amazing life, so yeah. much done in 89 years. So I learned a lot, actually. This is a, a piece reported on CNN, and it's reported on by Zoe Sotile, Chris Boyette, and Todd Leopold. Um, and this happened recently. I believe the news came out um, on Sunday, uh, July 31st, I believe. Uh, that's when this piece was published. And yeah, Nichelle Nichols, best known as Lieutenant Uhura in Star Trek, the original series, which I remember watching very infrequently as a kid. My best friend, um, Chanda, watched Star Trek a lot. And so I just watched uh. <laughs> it a lot when I was at her house. 
Um, and, you know, even back then in the 80s, uh, or I guess I, I think we must have been watching it in the late 80s or early 90s. Early 90s, uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Definitely, like, I remember uh, Nichelle Nichols and the fact that she was in that show was a big deal even then. Um, and obviously left a, a lasting legacy. The piece goes over, like, how the fact that she was in Star Trek and the way her role was, the way she was portrayed was like, it was one of the earliest non-stereotypical depictions of a mm. black woman. Martin Luther King said that, like it was a, it was a huge <laughs> deal. So yeah. it And then um, Nichols went on to actually help NASA recruit women and people of color to NASA. So her legacy went beyond Star Trek oh, wow. as like this icon of not only science fiction, but IRL science. So I just thought like reading this piece, I learned some interesting things about Nichols, like the fact that she toured as a musician uh, since the age of 14. So she toured yeah. uh, with who was it? It's a very Duke Ellington, of course. Duke Ellington, oh, which was wow. like amazing, so cool, like just a, an yeah. amazing life. And you know, rest in peace. I, I think her legacy will live on for a very, very long time, for all of eternity. So yeah, sad news, but a really mm. wonderful person. It was great to revisit her history and her life. I definitely didn't know anything about the basically like yeah like the, everything is besides the Star Trek part. I would be lying if I said I did. Um, that's awesome that she went on to like actually recruit people into like those fields. That's that's man Duke Ellington. Like yeah, yeah, those are, yeah. Those are awesome. Aww. So cool. So yeah, sad news, but you know, I guess I'm glad that she lived 89 years and yeah. left us with an amazing body of work. All right. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us about our next news item? So the shortlist for the inaugural. Oh, wait, that's actually you that's talking about that. But I was just, you know, going in order of what my agenda says <laughs> because I was so excited. Um, no, that, we're going to talk about that in a second. But the thing I'm super excited about that I don't want to click on because it's going to play, but I want to watch it again so bad is that the Wakanda Forever teaser trailer obviously recently dropped. I feel like I don't need to tell anybody listening to this show that this is the case. But it is phenomenal. It obviously addresses the fact that Chadwick Boseman is no longer with us, uh, which I don't, I mean, this this movie and this franchise is obviously so full of uh, imagery and, and significance to like, the Black community. But I don't know how, as just a human with like mitochondria, <laughs> you don't cry over this trailer it is yeah. so sad considering that he is gone and they give such like they, they confronted it head on it's not yeah. like a pretending he passed in some creative way it's like no like he's gone how do we bounce back from this how do we come back from this so if, if that level wasn't already enough to make you teary-eyed it's now uh, we have the introduction of Tenoch Huerta and Mabel Caden or Caden probably playing the roles of Namor and Namora. And I like just the imagery of him descending down from the sky 
And then, of course, the follow-up to this, I don't know if you've seen any of the Comic-Con coverage, but he, they all, the cast gave these amazing speeches about what it was like to film this movie, knowing that Chadwick uh, was gone. And, and and then, you know, Tenoch gave this beautiful speech in English and in Spanish, like, just saying about the importance of inclusion. And so, anyway, I could babble. I will stop. But, oh, I just, I've seen it probably 13 times. The music in it is so fantastic how it starts from like the Bob Marley track all the way to Kendra. Oh my gosh, it's just levels of good. So um, how about you say things before I <laughs> go on? And that No Woman No Cry track got me. <gasps> like they knew that everybody would be shedding all the tears. I was like, how yep. dare they? Like I, I'm how dare? already. Because I, you know, with Chadwick Boseman leaving us, like, I was not sure. I knew, like, Black Panther had to go on. We need of Black course. Panther. Uh, we need this film series. And it was just a question of, like, how? With somebody so central to the story and, like, the literal figure of the movie and the comics, like, yeah. how do we how – do how do you move on from that? And I felt – good watching this trailer i mean i felt sad and i wanted to shed all the tears but i also was like there are so many really powerful characters in black panther in this world of wakanda and seeing them in this way in this teaser like I was like, let's do this. I'm ready. Mm -hmm. I am ready for Wakanda forever. I'm ready for all of it, for the new cast members. Like you said, I have not been paying as much attention to the Comic-Con coverage, but now I have to, of course, go back and oh check out those you speeches you mentioned because I'm sure I'm going to have so many more feelings about it. They literally but, play the trailer, ugh. it drops, and then the entire cast that's up there just breaks out into hugs and they start oh. crying, like little cry circles. And I'm just like, and so there's initially like two circles because it's kind of a big cast, right? And then they like look up yeah. at each other and like join the circle. And I was just, I had no no chance of not bawling my face off. It was so good. And then, you know, we're all going through so much collective stuff. And in the end, when the song yeah. switches from No Woman, No Cry, and you just hear Kendrick's like, we gonna be all right. It's like, we are gonna be yeah. all right. Like, it's, oh my gosh, it's just, it's so good. I cannot wait to see this. It's it's gonna be big. Well, we're gonna have to wait until November 11th of this year, though. It feels like every time yep. we talk about movies, I'm like, 2024. In 2025. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> so that's that'll be nice. I, I'm looking forward to fall and to watching this. Ooh, okay. Oh, the full circle moment here, by the way, is that like you watched Black Panther for the first time on my couch, like deep in early. Oh pandemic. my gosh, that's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so like, aw, now we're talking about it today. But anyway, we can move on. I I'm just very excited. Ugh. We'll have to, like, have our recap as if we're on your couch when we watch it. We will. All right. Well, my last bit is the one Vanessa sort of accidentally teased. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the shortlist. I know. The shortlist for the inaugural Ursula K. Le Guin Prize for Fiction. And it's a really interesting. So this is reported on by Electric Lit. Um, and... It like not only do they have the shortlist, but they also uh, have an interview. If you'd like to read more about this inaugural prize, you can 
read an interview with Le Guin's son and literary executor uh, Theo Downs Le Guin, who talks about like the reason they have this award, the thoughts behind what they consider eligible for the award, because it's interesting. So it's it honors a book-length work of imaginative fiction, and whichever book wins the prize gets $25,000, and that author gets to, you know, use that money as they will to make space for writing or whatever. But this sort of the description of imaginative fiction is what they kind of go into, why they talk about um, what the eligibility looks like. And they talk in the intro to the shortlist in this piece a, a little bit about Ursula Le Guin's uh, speech during her receipt of the Lifetime Commendation from the National Book Foundation. And that's another speech I feel like I have to go look up now because it sounds amazing. So it was a six-minute acceptance speech. And she apparently, and I'm quoting directly here, delivered an elegant critique of capitalism, a call for artistic action, and also a practical demand for the conditions of every writer deserves. So really, like, I, I don't doubt it I, I am not surprised that Ursula Le Guin would uh, give um, a speech like that. She had a lot of like really insightful thoughts and in her work and in her life, the way she conducted herself and the way she wrote, you could tell that she had she was having some deep thoughts in her lifetime. And yep. so I really want to go back and check out that speech. But the shortlist is actually a really interesting list of works that I'm familiar, both familiar with and completely unfamiliar with. So uh, this is definitely a, a list that is going to introduce me to some books I'm putting on my TBR. So for instance, there's After the Dragons by Cynthia Jung. And that's from Stelliform Press. Um, I have not read that one. There's Appleseed by Matt Bell. There's Elder Race, which we've talked about that showed up on um, some other really great award lists. That's Elder Race by Adrian Tchaikovsky. There's The Employees by Olga Ravin. And um, let's see. Uh, House the House Rust. of Rust, yes, mm -hmm. by Khadija Abdallah Bajabur. Um, and the book that, the only book I think on this list that I have read is How High We Go in the Dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu. Super great, super great collection of short stories. The Past is Red by Catherine M. Valente. A Snake Falls to the Earth by Darcy Little Badger. I've heard lots of great things about that. Yeah. Summer in the City of Roses by Michelle Ruiz Keel. Um, so that is the shortlist. Are you familiar with any of these titles? I'm familiar with basically the ones you've mentioned, which are the... Well, I'm familiar with Catherine Valente as an author, just not with this title. And then, yeah, The Snake Falls to the Earth and How High We Go in the Dark are both books that I, I believe I actually own in galley form, if not in physical, yeah. but have not course gotten around to reading them and the rest of these are all really they're they're new to me i, I actually am not as familiar with this list which is really exciting to see a list that doesn't just look identical to all the rest it's pretty cool yeah yeah and i i feel like lately i've been wanting to you know sometimes and i think this speaks to 
aspects of the award and the eligibility and the description for what these works encompass. But I've been trying to not be so formulaic about the books I choose within science fiction and fantasy because they are the ones that very neatly fit into that those cat into those categories those genres and subgenres and then there are works that are just like i don't want to say weird but just like kind of they don't follow (laughs) that yeah they they don't follow the same rules necessarily but they are speculative i guess the word we tend to use is speculative speculative yeah Yeah, and so many books fall into that category, but they don't immediately catch my eye or come across, you know, my reading recommendations because I tend to specifically look for stuff that falls under the category of science fiction and fantasy. But I'm really interested because, like, this has a work in translation, which I'd love to read more of. The Employees by Olga Ravin is translated by Martin Aitken, I should have said. Um, so I really, I, I love this list. I love the way it's making me think about the next books I want to pick up to talk about on this show. So, uh, really curious to see who wins that inaugural award. And, uh, the thing I did not mention is that it is decided by five jurors, um, and that includes Adrian Marie Brown, Becky Chambers, Molly Gloss, David Mitchell, and Luis Alberto Urea. Uh, and the That's award a list. will be. That is a list. Yeah. I actually interviewed Molly Gloss. I was like, that name sounds familiar. Oh. I interviewed her at the uh, Portland Book Festival. Portland Book Festival, probably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's rad. Um, so we get to hear who the winner is October 21st on Ursula K. Le Guin's birthday. All right. Well, we're going to get to our mixtape. And before we start talking about our titles and our musical choices, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor. All right. Vanessa, why don't you kick us off with your first pick and your first tracks? Let's go. I'm going to give you, I'm sure what order do I do this? I'm going to start with my fantasy pick because it's going to be like music you've probably heard more about and I'm going to try not to wax okay. too much. <laughs> so my fantasy <laughs> pick is When Women Were Dragons by Kelly Barnhill and this sort of speaks a little bit to what we just talked about, about me trying to read more in my science fiction and fantasy reading that are, I guess, not what defined by the very like narrow rubric that I feel like I've been gravitating towards in science fiction and fantasy. Not that narrow rubrics exist because both of those genres are very rich and full of lots of, um, you know, subgenres and, and just variety. Yeah. And so I picked something that is like, yeah, fantasy, but it's like a historical fantasy and it's not what I would typically reach for when I go for fantasy. Um, this book is another one that a lot of you have probably heard of by now. It's very, very buzzy. And I can tell you that it is absolutely worth the hype. Um, I want to give some quick content uh, warnings for terminal illness, child neglect, and all, all of the misogyny. All of it. Oh, one, boy. one big pretty package. <laughs> um, I just realized I got so excited to make the playlist for my books that I didn't actually like write down like synopses of the books. I'm just going to go real off the cuff here. <laughs> but um, So on. in When Women Were Dragons, it's again historical in that it's set in the 50s. And the whole premise of the book is that in the 50s, this event took place called the Mass Dragoning of 1955, in which some like hundreds of thousands of women, I think like 300,000, spontaneously transformed into dragons. And of course, it changed everything. 
the book is told in alternating um like it goes between like a lead you know this is all obviously fake but like readings from a history book and like i think interviews and then the main character also telling the story like in her own words so you're flashing between what is supposed to be you know like texts about the mass dragoning and then somebody who actually experienced it and our main character is uh i think a teen like a preteen like eighth grader or maybe a little younger when this happens her aunt is one of the people that does that, you know, partakes in the dragoning. And the theme underlying this entire book is just feminine rage, rage in the Mm. face of misogyny of the patriarchy of every limitation that women have had to go through. And when I tell you, you, it is a wonderful book. It is magical, but you have to go in knowing that it's going to tick you off because so many of the refrains that you see about, you know, women not needing to earn degrees. And why would you go through all that? Because you're just supposed to make sandwiches for your husband and like, you're supposed to take care of kids and yeah, it's, it's just, it will give you all the feelings. And that is all I will say. It, it's just such a fantastic book. So um, th- rage was absolutely the theme that like ran through when I was picking all of these songs. Uh, they fit, I think, but like definitely keeping in mind like the rage. Um, so the first one I picked, which will not surprise Shariva in the least, is Freedom by Beyonce yeah. and Kendrick yeah. Lamar. Um, with a bonus pick, because I always cheat of Don't Hurt Yourself, uh, both from the Lemonade album. Even better if you do the homecoming versions, because I'm just adding layers and layers. But uh, that song has such, I think, yeah, like rage behind it, but also a bit of like an emancipation. Obviously, the song is called Freedom. Kendrick's verse is very also just like powerful and, and angry in a way that is beautifully justified. And that I just, that the vibe of that song, I play it every time I need to get pumped up or if I am feeling angry feelings. And it was a song that immediately popped up in my head when I thought about this book like yep rage that need i imagine as these women decided to be and i think it's i mean again it's spontaneous but when they kind of embraced their dragonhood that they were like okay cool i'm in a fire breathing monster and now i am free from you know these shackles if you will of like the life i led before this so it just felt like such a perfect pick and then my second song is king by florence and the machine off of her or their latest album if you haven't seen that video go watch it it is intensely like creepy not in like an ostensible way it's more like underlying but the lyrics to the song are very much about like we're arguing in the kitchen discussing like what you think art means and whether or not i belong like in kind of like in the kitchen sort of thing and the whole verse is very much about like i am no woman i am no bride like i am king and it's very much like don't limit me into your silly little boxes i'm no mother i'm no bride i'm king i'm sorry and that felt very in line with the theme of the book because you the characters are just getting that jam down their throat right like you're supposed to be a mom you're supposed to be a bride you are worth nothing if those are not the things you are now stop talking back and be quiet so like of course, <laughs> this was going to scream at me. It's such a great song. It has one of those really good, you know, builds and then just hits yeah. that like, deeper pitch at the end that is so satisfying when you need ragey songs. So excellent, excellent song. And I cannot wait to actually see them in concert in October. Ooh, lucky. Oh, I can't wait. It's going to be a wild October. Uh, lots of travel and stuff, but I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another song that is ragey that doesn't feel like it has anything to do with anything. But again, if you just need a song that's like, ugh, to like pump your rah-rah song, it's Breaking Dishes by Rihanna. I play this song kind of in the same way that I play Freedom when I'm just like, I am angry and need to sing along to something that feels like it encapsulates that kind of rage. And that is Breaking Dishes. 
the the main chorus is talking about how she's breaking dishes and she's gonna fight a man because this person pissed her off i don't know if i was allowed to say that but we can bleep it out if i'm not um yes it's just so good it's perfect again the theme is just anger that like absolute incandescence that comes from living in a really deeply misogynistic society um, next track is one that also feels kind of obvious, but Truth Hurts by Lizzo. And I went on a little more lighthearted way there. But I mean, the first line is literally, why are men great till they got to be great? And that is specifically the yeah. theme of this book. Obviously, not all men. Um, but this book is just full of some really, really unsavory male characters. And that felt, I just, those little piano lines, like, I can you know, I can, I can hear them in my head. It. And they're great <laughs> for this song or for this book. And then my last is just sort of like an honorable mention because it's not, well, it is a track, but specifically I only like this one part of the song, <laughs> or kind of, anyway, I like the whole thing, but I don't like all the people on it. Uh, so the song is Monster. I do love me some Jay-Z. Kanye can go sit down somewhere. So I, I quite, yeah. I hand to God, literally fast forward through his part of the song, even though it's quite lengthy, just to get to Nicki Minaj's verse. And it feels very perfect because... It's it's it talks about like I'm a monster, right? And that's in theory what these women are being painted as because they're now these fire breathing dragons. And the verse is so like, how dare you come for me? Like, do you know who I am? <laughs> and that felt yeah. really really perfect for this book. And my other like just real quick honorable mentions are not ready to make nice by the chicks and armor by Sarah Bareilles, but they weren't ragey enough for me. But they do still go, and that's all I will say <laughs> because I can't be contained when it comes to music and playlists. <laughs> I mean, yes, we had a pick. shorter, we had a shorter news segment, and we're probably gonna need that extra time because yes! I know how we can wax, wax on about all of these tracks. Um, and I also think it's hilarious how different our collections of music yep. are. But yep. my, I was looking at my, them. <laughs> I know. I was like, this is this is kind of great. It, and I also, I needed more music recommendations. So this is very helpful for me, selfishly. Um, okay. Well, I will talk about my fantasy pick then, uh, which is a bit of a cheat in that it's literally about music. I sort of talked about this uh, at the end of the last oh, yeah. episode as an uh, anticipated read, but I didn't really get to talk about it. So I was really, this was like me just wanting to talk about this book and it also super fit the topic. So The Ballad of Perilous Graves is by Alex Jennings. And I, I truly promise that I did not just pick out tracks and artists named in the book and call it a day, even though that would have been super easy but i i know i was like i could just i could just take note of what these tracks no are i did not do that um but yeah i briefly shouted this title out in the last episode because jazz was an accidental theme of that episode and this book is about jazz it's about blues it's about the music and culture of new orleans but this is a very very different new orleans this is uh, New Orleans, where graffiti moves, where the city's celebrated musician appears and disappears with his piano like some sort of phantom, and he compels everyone to get up and dance, and then where also dark forces are threatening the city and its people. And the story follows the grave siblings, Perry, or Perilous, and his little sister, Brendy. 
And these kids are are very much kids. Like Perry is just hitting puberty and Brendy is practically a baby. But they, along with their superhuman friend Peaches, which is a great name, they're all tasked with saving the day. And there's magic in their lives and in their veins, but Perry sort of has to find the courage to use his abilities. Uh, and the story jumps perspectives and time, so we see the origin of the troubles that have literally come to haunt the kids. And the book has some really nightmare fodder moments, like a lot of them. There, there are some really creepy moments in this book. Like, we're in graveyards, we're in nightmares, we're meeting zombies, the whole mm -hmm. shebang. But then at the heart of this story is a love for Nola and Vanessa and I were actually supposed to go to New Orleans for the first time. I was trying not to say us. it. <laughs> I was trying not well, to say I it. Did. I was having I feelings. <laughs> Good. But then the pandemic struck, of course, and dashed those plans. So this book sort of just made me freshly desperate to go visit. And one day, you know. Uh, so, okay, yes. talking about the mixtape version of this. So the song that immediately came to mind for this one is Roller Coasters by the New Orleans band Tank and the Bangas. And I will never stop telling everyone to go watch NPR's Tiny Desk concert featuring Tank and the Bangas. It's on YouTube. I have watched it 3,000 times probably at this mm -hmm. point. It is just so good. And this song in particular gets me in the gut every time. Uh, Tank introed this song by talking about this amusement park called Jazzland that used to be a feature, a fixture of New Orleans. And Jazzland is also briefly mentioned in the book. And then the song itself is all about that good-bad feeling of the thrill of the ride and that feeling you get on roller coasters. And I imagine the song for Perry and the rest of the kids as they face down these like the the literal the thrill and the terror of their lifetimes chasing down some really some pretty mighty demons and the song and the book are both emotional rides themselves so good uh and then my second track is god bless the child by billy holiday and i included this song because billy holiday was my first favorite blues artist there's this moment nearish to the beginning of the book where perry's thinking about what certain types of music evoke and how visceral a song can be like the the fantasies it can provoke in your mind and the real tangible feelings that a song can produce and no matter how many times i hear billie holiday's voice the experience stays as powerful as the first time i heard her and god bless the child is a sort of self-sufficiency song like this the same kind of self-sufficiency and resourcefulness that are seemingly helpless minus peaches and possibly even brendy who has a lot of like spunk and uh and spirit uh but perry definitely is trying to f reach in and and dig deep for that resourcefulness uh that i get from this song and then my third track is another song by another powerhouse, Nina Simone. And I had the song Sinner Man running through my head for some of these scenes featuring the villains of the story and these really dark moments in the book. 
And every time I hear that song, I'm just filled with a feeling of impending doom. Like, it's a song that describes a sinner who's come to the end of the line, who now has to face the consequences of faithlessness and wrongdoing, and knows that the devil is coming for him. So while the villains of the story in this story in particular, kind of wallow in their villainy, you have to hope as you read that they are on their way to some serious consequences. And the song itself provides such a great soundtrack for devious deeds. It it really is a song for nightmares and terrors. And, you know, I myself am a faithless heathen, but Nina Simone singing Sinner Man makes you feel like the message <laughs> is coming from on high. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i could not contain that i tried <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's true uh and then finally i'm rounding out the mixtape with um a couple of classic new orleans musicians classic in different ways i guess because there's john batiste and there's jelly roll morton so this is kind of a um a side thought, but I wanted to mention anyway that I love the Disney Pixar movie Soul. And Trent Reznor, you know, the Nine Inch Nails frontman who coincidentally also used to live in New Orleans before moving to L.A. I know this off the top of my head because I'm a big Trent Reznor fan. Um, but Reznor and Atticus Ross composed the ambient tracks for Soul. And John Batiste composed the jazz tracks for the movie which is a movie that uses music as the sort of foil for exploring what it means to really live. And John Batiste is this amazing musician born into a legendary New Orleans jazz family that, that stretches generations. And mm -hmm. Cry by John Batiste in particular makes me think of Perry as he comes to the realization that he has to overcome his fears and fight. And he really struggles with wanting to give in to defeat and to the feeling that everything is just terrible and there's no way he can do what's being asked of him. And Cry is all about that feeling of defeat in the face of all the world's wrongs. And then I had to choose New Orleans Bump by Jelly Roll Morton, who's a famous ragtime, was a famous, is a famous ragtime and jazz performer born in NOLA like way back when in the late 1800s. And I just needed something that was a song for the city because this this book is a love song to the city. This song, New Orleans Bump, is a song for the city. And if you want to visit the city vicariously, listen to the song, read the Ballad of Perilous Graves, again by Alex Jennings. It's such a good, visceral, fantastical read. I've been wanting to read that book for weeks. I just haven't gotten around to it. And now I, I highly recommend songs. the audiobook because I know the you like you said audiobooks. Graves exactly in the audio. Do you remember who reads it? I'm just super. Ooh, I wish nosy I did. Right I should know. Um, no, nope, all good. I, will try I was to just look curious. Mm, I can't wait. Yeah. I need to load that up. <laughs> that might it's be my so weekend read because I'm excited for that. Awesome. Okay, well, shall I tell us about my science fiction? Yeah. Book? Yes. Okay, so this one is, remember how I said, I was like, I'm going to read stuff that I wouldn't normally read, and then I read this, which was the most predictable <laughs> thing ever, but it's still, like, different in that it's, um, at least for me anyway, it's it's very, like, most people, when I, like, when they've described this book to me, are like, oh, it's a historical fiction, and it is, but it is absolutely science fiction, too, just maybe not in the way you're expecting. So you might, though, expect it, because the book is called The Daughter of Dr. Moreau. It's by Celia Moreno-Garcia. 
Hey, listeners, just a note that Vanessa and I did not realize that the daughter of Dr. Moreau was a sponsor for today's podcast until after hitting record. So it's just a happy accident that we got to talk about the title twice. And obviously from the title, you can probably tell that it is inspired by the island of Dr. Moreau. And so, you know, you probably from that are like, okay, yeah, I get it. This is science fiction. Again, going off the cuff with my description here, but I loved this book so much. I finished it like maybe four days ago and it's like, where do I even start? So it is basically, it is historical. It's set in, I believe, early 19th century Mexico, specifically in the Yucatan Peninsula during, uh, basically there's all kinds of conflict going on. But our main character, who is Carlota Moreau, indeed the daughter of a one Dr. Moreau, is living kind of a plush, but very, very, very understandably secluded life on this luxury kind of estate in the middle of the jungle. And her father has a sanatorium there, I believe. But basically, he is, you know, out here doing all kinds of science experiments. He has a patron that lives in the city, I think in Merida or, you know, somewhere further there, the family there are the Rizaldes. And then there's also a gentleman named Montgomery Lawton, who is sort of the overseer of the whole property. And I kind of don't want to tell you too much more than that, because it really is good to just discover, especially because some of you will already kind of maybe know where this is going based on, you know, what the book is inspired by. But Carlota Moreau is the daughter of this uh, German man, I believe, and her mother, who she's never known, who, you know, died when she was a kid, to the best of her knowledge was said to be like a local, you know, brown woman. She's very brown skinned and uh, is just sort of just trying to countenance the older she gets the maybe ethics behind her father's work. And that's all I'll say, but it's really, really, really great. So because this was set in the Yucatan, I definitely went a little bit more like, welcome to Vanessa's Cultural Corner <laughs> with my music <laughs> picks. Um, <I> <laughs> But it's because this, I think this book really needed that if I was going to sit here and make a podcast that, you know, no one's going to grade me on. <laughs> but anyway, so let's take it back to the roots. Um, so again, this, the book is set in the Yucatan and the there's a couple different types of music that are typical to the Yucatan, but one of them is called Trova. The songs are usually called um, like Trova Yucateco. And it is basically, you can think of it for those of you who do know music, a little bit is like a bolero. So it's this very, usually like a love song. The, song. the lyrics are usually very poetic and like, again, lovey and lyrical. And then they're set to the strums of that, that beautiful like Latin guitar. It's a style that began in Cuba. So it's most, a lot of, of the stuff in the Yucatan, obviously based on where it is, is influenced by other Caribbean cultures. And then this type of music was really, really popular as far as the trova in between like 1900 and 1940 in the city of Merida. And if you hear the guitars, like if you go play one of the songs I'm about to talk about, you'll be like, oh, okay, that, because it is very common and has, it has continued to be common in like romantic Latin American music. So the first one that I picked is a song called Flor de Azahar, which is, uh, what does that mean in English? Orange Blossom, I think. And it's by the Trovadores Yucatecos. And it's, there's not too much to say about it, except that it's very exemplary of what that kind of music sounds like. And it is the soundtrack that I put on while reading this book for the most part, because it is just these very, you know, back in the day and in certain parts of Latin America to this day, like 
serenades are really popular <laughs> that's how you tell someone you love them like you go hire a musical group and like go sing at so-and-so's window um, and so it's it, it's very reminiscent of those days like these beautiful love songs that you would sing outside someone's window and then with that gorgeous guitar like strumming throughout that again you will find very typical if you go and listen to it uh it's just it's beautiful it's lush and it reminded me there's so many beautiful descriptions of the characters in this again like lush burdened yucatan jungle going to the cenotes which are those big beautiful uh, swimming holes that have like the crystal blue water and i just imagined myself being transported to those places with that with this kind of music it's really great and then my next one is definitely more solidly in the bolero camp but very similar in sound and that's sabor a mi which is one of the most popular bolero songs of all time originally produced or composed by someone named alvaro carillo the version that is very popular among my Mexican people, for sure, is by a guy named Luis Miguel, who, like, you may not know who he is, but he is that dude in Mexico. Like, that dude. Yeah. He's, like, one of our most prolific artists of all time. And he had a whole record in, like, the 90s that I think was called uh, Romances. He had a couple of them where that were very, very bolero-influenced, where you hear songs like Sabor a mi, Besame Mucho, Contigo en la Distancia. Um, Sabor a mi is such a classic song and I I grew up with the Luis Miguel version and then someone had to be like yo that's not originally his song I was like leave me alone don't I want to live my life <laughs> but um <laughs> it's beautiful again it's like a quintessential Latin American love song that soft guitar guitar and like Sabor a mi like literally translates to like the flavor of me but flavor is doing a lot of words like a lot of words in Spanish like a word can mean many things and so yeah it means like the flavor of you but more like the scent of you, the essence of you, like, or in, in this case, me, the, the essence of me. And it's saying, like, wherever you go, like, you're going to carry that piece of me with you. And it's it's just so f phenomenal. I love that song with all my heart. <laughs> and then I love my job so much that I get to talk about this next <laughs> song on a podcast for an American audience. The song is called, if you speak any Spanish, you're going to be like, what? And I will explain. It's Rata de dos Patas by Paquita La del Barrio, which absolutely means the rat with two feet or like two-legged rat. <laughs> <laughs> if you can imagine, so this type of music is actually not like typical of the region, but it's just made me think because again, without spoiling, things happen in the book, betrayals things that are upset you and you're like you dirty scoundrel and so if you can imagine this mexican woman paquita sitting very like i don't know regina george burn book style like the lyrics to this it's oh, like she's wow. writing just all the terrible things about this man and so like the book uh, opens with <laughs> filthy rat creeping animal scum of life badly made freak subhuman specter of hell like vermin and I, she just she's writing all the words in which to diss a person and then this chorus is like rata de dos patas which is like you you know like rat on two legs kind of thing like you are a terrible wow. person i hope you get everything coming to you and i literally said those words when this like betrayal was revealed i was like rata de dos patas like oh mixtape so um that's how that ended up on this recording it is such a ridiculous song, but again, it's very like, I have been done wrong by a man, and I'm going to put every insult possible on wax, uh, and that's what this is. <laughs> but also, very quickly, uh, absolutely, uh, Paquita La del Barrio is a, like, a Mexican singer who made a whole career, uh, I think she dates back to like the 70s, and most of her songs take a stance against Mexico's very like sexist male culture. So it, it fits in multiple ways. It wasn't just me wanting to insert my weirdness. Uh, it does very much go, but it's just so funny that I went from like, sabor a mi to like, rat with two feet. Um, but it works. <laughs> it's, it's really great. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now I will take us back to something more serious. 
And these next two songs are two of my favorite songs of all time as well. The first is called Hasta la Raiz by Natalia Lafourcade. You should go listen to everything I'm about to talk about. I also heard Once Upon a Time on, I think, NPR and then the Song Exploder podcast. But the song Hasta mm. la Raiz means to the roots, like at the root, to the roots, back to the root. Um, again, Carlota really goes through some stuff. Carlota being the you know main character in the book and in the end is sort of looking back on those things. And I don't want to spoil them, but... This song immediately came to mind as the book was wrapping. Natalia Lofurcade has been interviewed about the song, and she said that she specifically wanted to craft a song that would remind her of Mexico, of home, something that is, uh, because she's, it's so important to her that's like not forget her roots. So she uses this traditional guitar riff called the Wapango, that again, if you go play this song, you'll recognize it. It's just this very, very recognizable kind of guitar beat that you've probably heard in lots of different songs. But then it swells with these really dramatic strings that La Furcada specifically said were crafted to evoke like epic feelings, epic emotions, and that sensation of leaving things behind and looking back at experiences that made you stronger in spite of maybe how hard mm. they were. I didn't have to hear a dang word of that. And that all is screamed through the song. It's beautiful. Natalia La Furcada's voice is very like kind of quiet and melodic, but has these really pure tones when she gets into the higher pitches and the song is just so like oh my god like you get that feeling of like oh my gosh this is reminds me of, of memories of home of, of feelings that I hadn't felt in a while and then reading that that is you know specifically what she was going for it was like okay so you know we're on the same page uh, <laughs> and that fits really really well with I think the ending to this book and finally gonna wrap it up with a song called Morena Mia by Girl Ultra. Girl Ultra is one of my favorite uh, artists it's she's uh well first of all the song is originally by a spanish male artist named miguel bosse so there is an, an original version of the song this is her cover but the girl girl ultra is actually named mariana de miguel she is a mexicana from mexico city like from the capital and she really set out in the earlier parts of her career to specifically create a r&b sound because you don't see a lot of that r&b vibe in traditional like Mexican music and really even modern Mexican music. So she is definitely, or was, it's a, anyway, she's kind of branching out now, but an R&B artist. And so this song is just sexy, silky. Her voice is very kind of buttery falsetto, like in that, that really pure quality of like a Billie Eilish when she hits falsettos. You're like, how are you doing that? Because you're not singing like powerfully. You're just singing really clearly. And the song More Morena Mia is like my, um, Morena is basically means like someone with like brown skin. And I love that Silvia Moreno and every single one of her books is like, I'm going to put a very brown protagonist in this book. And then yep. I'm going to make it very clear that she is beautiful and desirable and perfect without, you know, whitewashing her. Like she's very aware of the colorism that exists in Latino America. So this was just like the perfect song for me. I'm like, cause they do talk about Carrota having this beautiful brown skin and she's got dark features and the song popped up. So, yep, that's my, that's my pick. Those are my picks. Love this book. And I hope you go listen to some of these songs while you read it. The Daughter of Dr. Moreau is one of my most anticipated books. So I'm glad to hear it lives up to the hype. I mean, I did not oh, expect it's so anything good. different from Sylvia Moreno Garcia. So. Go read it. Awesome. Oh, and I, I did find out the narrator for The Ballad of Perilous Graves. It's Graylin Bryant Banks. I am not familiar with the name. Oh, me neither. I'm excited, though. Amazing. It, the narration is amazing. So, yeah. All right. Mm. Well, I'm taking us back to 
rageful women. Uh, Yay! <laughs> and <laughs> I wanted to talk about Iron Widow, and this is by Siran J. Zhao. And I had so many. Ugh, I I was also like deeply in in my rage tracks uh, rabbit hole for this one. So first of all, this is a science fantasy vengeance machine. Like this book is all about vengeance. So we have the protagonist, Jiqian, who is seeking vengeance against the system for the death of her older sister who died as a concubine. And in this world, which is inspired by cultural elements across Chinese history and reimagined historical figures, but in this world, women have very few rights. Uh, They are not allowed intellectual freedom. They are basically used as resources, raised to live and die for men. And this is most clearly illustrated, I guess, in the use of concubines, whose sea power, uh, their power chrysal uh, powers chrysalises, if I could speak, and the chrysalis. It's a lot of letters. <laughs> I know. I'm like, it's a sea power, but it also powers chrysalises, uh, and they're these giant mechas that are driven by male pilots. And concubines have very few protections and can basically expect to die in service. So. When Jiqian is enlisted as a concubine, she finds herself in this really dangerous position to avenge her sister with some big challenges, including her attraction to this wealthy pretty boy who is Ije. And Ije is kind of on the sidelines while she's acting as a concubine and kind of kind of sort of working undercover in her own way. But then she also has an assigned pilot who is the infamous Iron Demon, Lee Shiming. And then her other challenge is her own hardly contained rage, which, you know, if she shows her rage in this particular situation in her role as a concubine, she could get in a lot of trouble. But she has a lot of it to spare, so that's a real challenge. Um, So as you might imagine, I had to choose some really hard-hitting tracks, I suppose, Mm -hmm. that really spoke to Jetian's rage and willingness to raise the status quo and everything in her path at all costs. And the first track that came to me immediately was Army of Me by Bjork. And I mean, it's pretty obvious. Jetian is an army of herself. And the core of the song is this sort of pitilessness. There's this sort of call to pick yourself up and to stop complaining or face the consequences. This is a very like, I have no pity for you, pick yourself up. And Mm -hmm. Jitian has no sympathy to spare for anybody, not even herself. She makes mistakes because she exists in this really deep, dark place of negativity and distress. But you know also who could blame her, considering what she's been through in her life. Yeah. Uh, And then, yeah, my second track is... A different sort of, it's not like super rageful in the same way Army of Me or some of my other tracks are, but it's Spring Breeze by Hypersynth, which is a rock band from Chengzhou, China. And this track really took me back to 
the early mid 2000s when I was listening to a lot of indie rock and indie punk and the song just felt like a ballad specifically for Chitian and Ichu. So there's a phrase in the lyrics that goes, you say that I'm evil, I guess I am somehow sly. I wish someday I could be like the spring breeze blowing through you, wanting nothing, and then you will love me no more. And that really encapsulates like... Damn. Yeah. It encapsulates Chitian's feelings. There's a lot that's uh, that's taboo about their their attraction to each other. There's Mm -hmm. this class divide that you're not supposed to cross, but there's also this mission. Jetian has a mission that she knows is going to villainize her in the eyes of a lot of people, perhaps including Ija. So their love just feels impossible. And then my third track is Apocalyptic by LA rock band, (laughs) Cherry Glazer. And Apocalyptic is the name of the song and also the album. And I listen to this track a lot when I want to get like, I just want to get, I just want to feel like I can take anything down and have that sort of clean, detached, rageful feeling. Just like, you know, you know, those moments in life where you're just like, rage would be really helpful to me right now. I just need that cathartic feeling. And Apocalyptic is the most metal track on the album. There are no lyrics. It's just guitars and this sort of plodding, dark battle rhythm. And it's the track I would imagine for the scenes where the chrysalises are battling these massive win-wins, these non-human behemoths that are attacking the world and creating the need for these pilots and concubines to pilot the similarly massive mechas. And then my fourth and final track is Circular Ward. And this song is by the Shanghai China band Ruper. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's all caps R-U-B-U-R. I've never said the name aloud. Um, And I don't know why I reverted to songs that are reminiscent of my young adulthood, but here we are in shoegaze land because this is definitely (laughs) some shoegaze music. If you like that, I do. And according to the track listing on Bandcamp, uh, the song is based around the idea of a panopticon, uh, which is described Mm. as the sort of institutional building and system of control that allows all the prisoners of an institution to be observed by a single security guard without the inmates being able to tell whether they're being watched which speaks to how totalitarian states operate, especially in the digital age. And thinking about where the band is from and like some of the political strife that's happening there, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Like it's a hard, it's a hard thing to think about even like in the U S where we're going through some things and it just made me, it gave me the chills. And then on top of that, like just the idea of like the themes of imprisonment and totalitarian constructs and institutionalized exploitation is just a huge part of this story. So I think that that speaks to especially Jetian's time in the prison of being a concubine so really chilling stuff uh but such a great book so many moments mm-hmm. of like deep satisfaction and 
I can't wait to see where this story goes. So again, that was Iron Widow by Siran J. Chow. Ugh, so I have many to good quickly songs. say a thing about that, which is that the juxtaposition of all the like wonderful, ragey things you just described with the author, who if you don't follow her on Twitter, she basically once upon a time said that oh, she ever they, got published. They, them. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. They. Sorry. They. So they oh, once yeah. said if they ever got published that they would um, take their author photo in a cow suit. And they yes. absolutely did. And so this whole time I'm envisioning them in that cow suit. Like, and then this like super ragey, beautiful book. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to read that. <laughs> Just, I love, I always think of them in the cow suit. <laughs> So good. I do too. I love that. I love that image. I mentioned it too because who can miss that? Like when I first yeah. talked about this book, I was like, wait, what's happening here? Why is this yeah. author in a cow suit? <laughs> yep. And has taken like some follow up photos on like stacks of their books and like, yep, yes, still got the cow yes. suit. I'm like, you are wonderful. Thank you so much. <laughs> Look, it's great. I, I can't love wait the antics. <laughs> yeah. You, you will absolutely, I think you will love this book it is such a great story um i wish i could reread it again and i didn't mention and i should mention that there are content warnings for this lots of them uh there's mention of sexual assault it's there are no on-page depictions uh but there's also suicidal ideation physical and emotional abuse alcohol addiction and torture so there is a lot of darkness in this book but again such a fantastic read highly recommend it and that brings us to the end of our show. Wow, I cannot believe we got through all those tracks. I really was not sure where we would land. We got through. <laughs> and that's, that's you know, I am partially to blame for taking us over because I absolutely waxed a little. But we're only 10 minutes over what we usually do. It's not that bad. Uh, yes, I think we did, <laughs> we did well for ourselves. And I hope that listeners out there find some great books to read and some great music to listen to from this episode. I am definitely going to add some things to my playlists. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for listening. SFF Yeah is sound edited by Caitlin Brame. Many thanks to her for making us sound great each and every episode. For more recommendations, you can check out bookriot.com and you can find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. Thank you so much for listening. You can email us at sffyet at bookriot.com. And if you have a moment, please do review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And in the meantime, where can listeners find you online, Vanessa? I'm mostly over on the gram at Buenos Dias SD, where the S is spelled like my last name. And you can find me on Instagram as well at Zainab Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.